If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn to Matthew, uh, the book of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 28 tonight for a little bit, and then we'll be a few other places. Um, But we are finishing up our uh, spiritual disciplines series tonight. And so if you've been with us the past four weeks, we've been walking through kind of four core spiritual disciplines, uh, which, by the way, thank you all for praying for me and and, uh, any of the get well soon wishes. That was nice from last week. The flu had me down. And it may be coming for you soon, so be on the lookout. Wash your hands, cover your face, things like that. But um, it's everywhere. But I'm okay now, so don't worry. I'm not going to give you the flu tonight from, from up here. Um, but uh, I'm glad Colby got to fill in last week. Heard he did a great job talking about fellowship and the church. Uh, if you were here, hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, but we're going to finish up this series tonight. We've been talking about these four kind of core areas um, of the Christian life, of the Christian walk. And what does it really mean to be an obedient Christian? And what are these kind of core areas that we should be seeking to grow in, even in the year 2018? And so we've been kind of walking through this. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about God's word and the importance of hearing from God in his word and how we, we have God's uh, voice really uh, through his word that we can have. So we should spend time really memorizing this, meditating on it, learning it, reading it. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about prayer and how we uh, we hear from God in His Word, and we have His ear in prayer. And so we talked about um, prayer, the, the importance of it, uh, different aspects of that. Last week, Colby talked about the church and fellowship and being with God's people. And this week, we're going to talk about the last of the four kind of core areas here, and that's uh, being a part of God's mission in the world. And um, really, this is a natural part of being in a relationship with God, is that if we know Him, if we know Him through His Word, through prayer, through His people— um, then really it's kind of a natural next step to be a part of what God is doing in the world, right? If we have a relationship with God, then, I mean, if he's on mission in the world, then we should be on mission with him, right? And so that's kind of what we're talking about tonight. Um, another word for it might be evangelism. I, I hesitate to use that word too much because there's lots of connotations with evangelism in the church and in Christianity. And I may say that word, and you immediately have all these ideas of acronyms and tracks and things like that. And we'll talk about that. And tools are good. Um, but really what we're talking about tonight is being a part uh, of God's mission uh, in the world. And if you know our core v- value statements at the church, we have know God, find community, and live on mission, right? And we really believe that's a vital aspect of what it means to walk with the Lord is to live on mission with him. Because here's the thing, like, God has always been on mission way before we ever came up with that word missions. Like, God is a missional God. He's a sending God. It's part of who he is. And he's been on mission to, like, redeem humanity back to himself ever since the fall. Ever since we sinned, he's been in this plan and had this plan uh, in place to bring us back to himself. And if I'm confusing you there, I'll get to that in a minute when we talk about what the gospel is. Um, but God has been on mission for a lot longer than we have, and so we get to join him in that. And so as we're in relationship with him, we get to join him in it. And this should be a part of our daily lives and a part of our rhythms, just like God's word, just like prayer, just like being part of the church. I really believe that like evangelism, sharing our faith, whatever you want to call it, should be a part of our lives, a rhythm just the same. It, it really is a spiritual discipline. We may not think about it that way, but I think it really is. Um, but I know that it's not for most of us. Like, I, I know the, the numbers. I've heard them in, college, in, in seminary. Like, something like 95% of Christians never share their faith with anyone. Um, and uh, so I know that for most people, I know in my life that, like, evangelism, share my faith is not what it should be. And so tonight, what I want us to do is, I'm not going to guilt trip you with... Um, Kind of like the other weeks, you know, I'm not going to guilt trip you with, you know, your need to share the gospel, although I will encourage you and challenge you. Um, But I want us to talk about kind of some big ideas of like the what of evangelism, like what are we doing when we share our faith, and the how, and do some practical kind of things that I hope are um, helpful for you, and I hope an encouragement to you that when you leave here tonight, you feel more equipped 
uh, to know what it means to talk about your faith, know, know how to do that, and that um, maybe you'll be able to have some, some good conversations even this week with a roommate, with a friend, uh, about your faith. And, and, and hopefully that begins something even this semester and for the rest of your life. And so, um, so with that, if you have a Bible, we're going to look at the Great Commission to start off tonight. Um, because, I mean, where else do you go in a, in a missions evangelism message, right, besides the Great Commission? Uh, but we're going to read Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and then uh, we're going to unpack this a little bit, and then we'll go into First Peter uh, a little bit after that. But if you have a Bible, let's read this together. Um, to know the context of this passage, in case you're unfamiliar with it, that's fine. Um, this is at the very end of Jesus' ministry. Uh, he has finished everything he came to do on the earth. He has died on the cross. He has resurrected, displayed God's power over sin and death. He's appeared to hundreds of people, done some amazing things, even post-resurrection. And he is about to um, ascend to the right hand of the Father. And he is with his disciples, his kind of core people he's invested in. And he gives them like a commission. It's his, it's his parting words to them. Hey, this is what I want you to do now that I'm gone. And this is what he says to them. And really, as we'll talk about in a second, it's for us too. All right, but this is what he says to them. So let's hear these words together. I know if you've been in church for a while, you've heard this. But, but hear this anew and hear this fresh, um, even spoken to you tonight. Uh, starting in verse 18 of 28, in the ESV it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right. So a few things I want us to kind of look at tonight, and I gave you outlines. So if you want to look at the back of your um, note sheet, uh, it's going to be on there, or the back of your announcement sheet. A few things to look at that I want us, want us to know. A few things we need to know about sharing our faith when we begin this conversation is, number one, we need to be commissioned. Right? We need to be commissioned. And what I mean by that, I, need, I mean that, first off, the Great Commission is for you. If you're a Christian in this room... The Great Commission is to you. It's not the great suggestion, right? It's not the, you know, to the, to the super Christians. It's not to those who kind of feel like this is something they, they should do. But the Great Commission is for all of us. If you're a believer in this room, this is the mission that God has given you. It's Jesus' marching orders to the church, to his people, and really for all of, our, um, all of our lives. And if you notice one thing that Jesus didn't say in the Great Commission is this. He didn't say... You know, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and build a building and have Bible studies and talk about me in your you know, Sunday school classes and then do this. You know, he didn't say go and have a meeting, right? He didn't say go and build a building. He didn't say go and set up an organization, right? What did he say? Go and make disciples, right? And I was at a conference back in October where um, they talked about this a lot and it really kind of hit me pretty hard is that they said this. They said Jesus didn't give the church a mission, he gave the mission a church. He didn't give the church a mission. He gave the mission a church. And I'm not bashing the church in any way. Like, the church is Christ's bride. I mean, it's a big deal. We should love the church. I mean, the organization of the church is awesome. But the church doesn't exist for, the, for itself, right? The church exists for the mission that God has given it. And really, God has given us the church to accomplish his mission, right? And that the church, and the, um, the church is not God's plan B for saving the world. It is God's plan A. He has given the church the mission of going and making disciples. And so it's a big deal when we look at this great commission, because it's not just a suggestion, but it's what we as believers and we as the church should put our whole lives around. Like mission should define everything that we do. It should, it should influence every decision that we make. It should influence, you know, our, our money, our priorities. It should influence our, even our majors, you know, how you can use how God has made you best for making disciples. 
So we should orient everything in our lives around the mission that Christ has given us. But if you want to break it down simply, really what he tells us is this. He says, all right, I want you to be disciples that make disciples. That's kind of the, the summary of what Christ says here. Be disciples that make disciples. And we've already talked about for the past couple of weeks what it means to be a disciple, right? We've talked about knowing God through his word, um, having his ear in prayer, spending time with his people and being a disciple and, and having that, that heart transformation. But tonight we're going to talk about this idea of like making disciples. What, what, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Okay? So a few things I want to point out really quickly before we move on is uh, a few things about the Great Commission that we've got to remember because it's really easy to see the Great Commission and to think about these things and, and like feel this pressure of like having to do a whole bunch, like perform, having to measure up, having to learn a lot of stuff to, to be able to do this kind of thing well. But it's really important to notice, if you look at the Great Commission at the beginning, Jesus says, the first thing he says to them is this, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. But then you look at the end, he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And something important to realize there is this, is that sandwiched there in the middle is the Great Commission to go and make disciples. But notice what's at the beginning and the end. It's Christ's power and his presence is with us. His power and his presence. And so one thing we got to remember before, before we even start this conversation about living on mission, what does that mean, what does it mean to make disciples, is that we don't do this in our own strength. We don't do this in our own kind of ingenuity and creativity. We do this in Christ's power, right? We look to him as the only person who can save people. Like, I can't save anybody. I can share the gospel. I don't have the power to save anybody, right? So we go in his power and his strength. We also, we go in his presence. Like, anytime we go and we share the gospel, we're not the first person to, like, you know, talk about spiritual things with them necessarily. We're not the first spiritual encounter they've had. Like, and every person who hears and responds to the gospel, God has been working in their heart long before we ever have a conversation with them. They may not even call it that. They may not know that. But he's been working in their hearts. And even as we share the gospel and as we live on mission, his presence is there with us. And he's right there with us. And so we'll talk more in a bit about, like, being afraid of sharing the gospel and fear but we got to remember, we go with his presence with us as well. That his presence is with us every moment of every day, but especially when we're communicating the gospel. So his power and his presence are with us. But then we'd make disciples really by three things. If you're an English major, there's three participles, ing words there. Um, that Sorry, that was really like condescending to call them ing words. Sorry, you guys are college students. You know what participles are. Um, but there's three participles there that Jesus talks about. And in the Greek, they're kind of centered around or like hung on this idea, this word make disciples. And it's three things. It's baptizing, excuse me, going, baptizing, and teaching. All right, going, baptizing, teaching. And three things to realize from that that are important is this, is that going. All right, first off, to make disciples, to share the gospel, we got to go. We got to go to people. Right, we have to go to the nations. All right, this isn't going to be an international talk tonight, but it involves going to people that haven't heard the gospel. Uh, going to the nations, but it involves going to people, spending time with people, but it involves baptizing. What do we do when we baptize someone? Well, when we baptize them in a service, we've immersed them in the water to illustrate what's happened to them, right? Illustrate the death they died to their sin, how they've been made alive in Christ. So when we're baptizing someone, we're communicating the gospel message. So when we go and we baptize people, that's implying that we've communicated the gospel to them and they believed it. So the important thing to remember is this, is that evangelism, making disciples, living on mission, whatever you want to call it, it involves communicating a message, right? You've Probably heard the Augustine quote you know, or the St. Francis quote about, you know, share the gospel always and when necessary use words. Sounds cool, but he didn't say it and it's not really true. So like, you know, I mean, you can share the gospel through your actions in some ways, but the gospel is a message. It's a message to be communicated. And we're Christians. I mean, we're the body of Christ. We should be his hands and feet in serving people and meeting needs and um, 
serving the oppressed and seeking to uh, uphold justice. Those are all things we should do as the church. But our primary mission is not to just be good people and to end you know, physical suffering, but it's to communicate the gospel message. And we also seek to meet needs in that. But our primary mission is to communicate the gospel message to people. All right, So it involves a message. And thirdly, it's teaching. And teaching simply means that we spend time with people after they come to be a believer, right? That making disciples isn't like, hey, we go in, we drop a gospel bomb, we get some hand raises at a service, and we're like, cool, you guys are good, I'm out, I'm going home. But no, it means that we disciple people, that we spend time with people teaching them what it means to be a believer, teaching them what it means to be a Christian, walking alongside them, helping them grow in these spiritual disciplines we've talked about, and spending time with them with the intent that they in turn become a disciple maker. And it's a multiplication that happens. And that's kind of the big idea of what we see is that we spend time with people, we share the gospel with them, we raise them up to be disciple makers, and they go and do the same. And that's really what our heart should be as a church and as a college ministry is to make disciples in that way. And so that's kind of the first thing we see is we got to be commissioned. Uh, but there's one thing that we have to know as well is that if we're going to be people about the message of the gospel, we got to know what the gospel is. We have to know like, what the message is. And so what I want to do for just a few moments tonight is kind of walk through what is the gospel. Okay, I don't think we can just assume that we know it. I think in Bible Belt Christianity, we assume the gospel way too much. And so what I gave you on your table here is a little sheet. It's a full, full paper sheet there. Um, that is a, just a tool to give to you. Um, it is one way to think about the gospel. So this is a resource you can have. If you like digital versions, I can send you one of those too. Um, but this is my preferred way to, to share the gospel. So if someone asks me, Kyle, like, what's the gospel? Tell me the gospel. This would be what I would use. Okay, this would be the, the kind of parameters I would walk through. And so for you, I want to give you this tool tonight as a way to be equipped um, and a way to think through how do I share the gospel with somebody. And so I'm not going to go through all the necessary details of this and walk through it super extensively. I gave you a lot of scripture references that you could use if you wanted to. Um, but I want to just walk through this quickly and help you think through what is the gospel because to proclaim it, we got to know it, Right? And so let's walk through this for a minute. And if you've been here a while, you've probably heard this, um, which is probably good. But you've heard this multiple times. But, you know, bear with me. Let's remember the gospel together. But four words can summarize the gospel. All right, four simple words. God, man, Christ, response. All right, God, man, Christ, response. Okay, it's a simple way to think through it. And really what we're telling is the gospel story, the big picture of the Bible. Uh, But it's this. And I'm I'm literally going to read some stuff from that sheet so you can follow along if you would like to. Um, but the first thing is this, the gospel starts with God, right? It starts with God, that God is exactly who he is according to scripture. He's eternal, holy, righteous, loving, good, all-powerful. He is the creator. He created everything, which you will hear a lot about that next week from Lucas. It's going to be amazing. You should be here. I love listening. I listen to him talk about probably anything, but he's, he's awesome, but especially science. But God is creator of the universe. He's creator. Therefore, he has authority. Right? If you make the universe, you have authority over it. To, um, to do as you please. God is sovereign. He's in control. He made us in his image. He made us to be in relationship with him and in his image and to bring him glory. That's what we're made for. That's our purpose in life. And since God is holy and perfect, he can't tolerate sin. If you've been with us on Sunday morning going through Habakkuk, I gave you Habakkuk 1.13, that God um, is too holy you know, to, to deal with and to look upon sin with approval, that God is holy and perfect. And so that presents a problem then, because when God made us, and when he created our great spiritual or great you know, humanity ancestors, Adam and Eve, a long, long ago, uh, we chose to rebel. What happened is that God made us in his image, but yet Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God. They chose to reject his authority. They didn't just break a simple rule. They actually rejected his authority and really were trying to be God themselves. They rebelled against him. And because that rebellion is basically treason against the king of the universe, 
what's the fitting punishment for treason? It's death, right? And so what happened then is that, go to that fourth bullet point, we now deserve spiritual death and punishment separated from God in hell for eternity. That's the bad news of the gospel. But it's that because of our, um, our rebellion, not just the rebellion of Adam and Eve, but even our own rebellion, because sin has been passed down like a spiritual disease to us from them, we all are sinners in act in nature. Right? Uh, we're sinners by what we do, and we're also sinners because our hearts are corrupt, and they're, they're wicked, and we sin because we, are, we have sinful hearts. And so because of that, we all deserve punishment. We deserve to be separated from God for eternity in hell. Not only will we die physically, we'll die spiritually one day. And that's the bad news. And that that kind of sucks. That's the bad news of the gospel. But to get to the good news, you've got to know the bad news. So that's a man. What's Christ? Well, that's God's solution to our sin. That what God did, he loves us too much to leave us where we're at. God desires to be in a relationship with us. He desires for all to be saved, coming to a saving knowledge of him. Because of that, he sent his son, Jesus, uh, to live the perfect life we could never live and to die on a cross in our place. That we all, to earn and to um, be able to spend forever with God, would have to be perfect. But we can't do that because we're sinners. And so Christ came and he lived that perfect life that we should have lived. He died for our sin um, in our place on the cross. And he was raised on the third day to display God's power over sin and over death. And so because of that, we now can be saved in this thing called the great exchange, where if we simply put our faith and trust in Jesus, we can have our sin exchanged and be put on Christ and receive his righteousness instead and be made into a right relationship with him. And the way that we respond to the gospel, which is the good news, is, is by that fourth point, the response. Right? All we have to do is believe in Jesus, right? which I put in your uh, thing there. That's a trust or relying on. Like, believing in Jesus isn't like, I believe he exists. It's not like I believe that he's like real, you know, kind of like, you know, this idea. But it's a belief in the same way as like, I believe that a parachute will save me if I jump out of an airplane. Like, I can do all the aerodynamic calculations on an airplane to, or on a parachute to say, yeah, it'll work if I jump out of it. It's way different, way different kind of belief if I put the, the parachute on and jump out of the plane, right? One's academic, one's intellectual, the other one is practical, right? That's the kind of belief that, that we put in Jesus, we believe that he really will save us. And that belief kind of has two aspects, uh, churchy words, especially the first one's repentance. We don't use that word very much these days, but repentance simply is this. It means to turn from our sins. So to believe in Jesus means that we turn from our sins and we turn to Christ, that we recognize our sin is wrong, our sin is evil, our sin uh, has earned us punishment. We admit that, we confess that, but yet we look to Jesus and his perfect sacrifice in our place. And it's a simple faith. You don't have to understand all the depths of theology to get this. It's simply to say, I'm jacked up. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. And I know he's died in my place. I put my trust in him. It's it's that kind of simple childlike faith. It's all that is required to believe and be born again, to become a Christian. And that last idea there, if we trust in Christ, we can have confidence that instead of spending eternity separated from God, we'll spend eternity with him. But not even just eternity like you know, someday I'll die and go to heaven, but our lives become transformed even the moment we accept Christ, that we become filled with the Holy Spirit, we receive a new life, we receive the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, uh, a regeneration of our hearts to be born again, and it really eternal life begins the moment that we trust Jesus and extends into eternity, all right? And so I know we could talk about that kind of stuff for the rest of the night, but that's really the gospel, and you don't have to articulate it in that exact way that I did, you know, like I've been talking about this, and I mean, I'm a minister, and this is kind of like part of what I do many times, but 
Uh, part of it is just articulating that in your own words. And I gave you some uh, scripture references there. And if you want to share the gospel with someone, and just use that sheet and read through it and just look up the Bible verses. That's okay. That's a way to talk about the gospel. Okay? Um, but I think that's a helpful kind of parameters to think through is God, man, Christ's response for sharing the gospel. Okay? But one more thing to mention with that is not only God, man, Christ's response, but when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, use your own story. Like if you're talking about what you believe and why it matters, there should be some applications to your life, right? And so think about when you're talking with someone about the gospel, share maybe three things, like what your life was like before Christ, maybe what, uh, what kind of needs you were looking for, what kind of sin were you experiencing, what kind of um, you know, burdens and brokenness were you experiencing in life, and what led you to Jesus. And then after you talk about what happened before Christ, talk about how you met Jesus. Talk about how you understood you know, the gospel, how you understood the God-man Christ response. For me, I was 13 years old at a summer camp. I'd been raised in church and, and knew all the right answers, but didn't really believe it and understand it um, until the night this guy got up there and was just very straightforward about the gospel, and I was convicted to my sin and realized I needed Jesus. I didn't really know him. I, I knew about him, but I didn't really believe in him. And so that's how I understood the gospel. And then talk about after Christ. You know, what, what's your life been since then? That may be a long time for you, maybe a short time for you. But talk about the difference that Jesus has been making in your life, not just right after you became a Christian, but even today. Like, what difference is Christ making in your life? And Because, I mean, if, if Christ really is working in you, there's going to be some fruit that you can talk about. So just share that. Share what difference he's making. And so that, that's some practical of the what, all right? So that was that first section, is we have to be commissioned and know the gospel. And that's the what of evangelism. But let's talk about the how for a little bit, okay? And so our second thing we're talking about tonight is the how. All right, because that's the core message of the gospel. And by the way, if you have any questions about that, if you don't know Jesus and you want to know Jesus, if you haven't heard the gospel clearly and want to know more about that, want to believe in Christ, man, come talk to me, please. Or come talk to one of our leadership people tonight after they would love to talk to you uh, about Jesus. Um, come talk to Ethan. Uh, and that's an open invitation at any time. Um, but yeah, we'd love to talk to you more about the gospel. But that's the what, and many of us know that, okay? We probably could walk through that if we were you know, pressed. Let's talk about the how, some practical about how we go about sharing the gospel with people, okay? Um, how should we do it? So if you want to turn in your Bible to 1 Peter, it's a great verse on um, sharing our faith. It's also a great apologetics verse um, that may come up with uh, Lucas and Josh at some point. I don't know. Um, but 1 Peter 3.15, we're going to look at this verse for just a moment and, and talk a little bit about how do we go about sharing our faith with people. Um, I'll read it for you here. 1 Peter 3.15, this is in the ESV. It says, I'm picking up in the middle of a sentence, so sorry about that if that bothers you. Um, it kind of bothers me, but it, I don't want to get sidetracked by other context stuff tonight. So um, 3.15 says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. All right? few things to point out there. We do this with gentleness and respect. Right? We're not beating people over the head with the Bible. We're not picketing in front of people's houses saying you're going to hell, you know, kind of thing. We're doing this with gentleness and respect, right? We're always ready to make a defense, right? But specifically, even there at the beginning, look, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And that kind of leads to my first thing I want us to look at tonight is this, is that when it comes to the how of sharing our faith, first thing is we got to fight fear with fear. All right, you have to fight fear with fear. What, what I mean by that, okay? Well, here's the thing that first you need to know. Like, being, being afraid of sharing your faith, of evangelism, or being nervous, 
that's very normal, by the way. That, that's natural, okay? That, that's to be expected, okay? I mean, talking about, like, God coming down as a human, being born of a virgin, living a perfect life, dying and coming back from the dead and being raised to heaven, like Star Trek or something, that's a, that's a pretty weighty conversation. It's a pretty weighty thing to talk about, right? You know, even in Bible Belt South, like, it's still, you know, a, a weighty thing to talk about. And so we should expect that to maybe be a little awkward sometimes, especially depending on where the conversation's going, if you're trying to go from talking about, like, Netflix to the gospel. Like, you know, there's ways to do it, and we'll talk about that, um, but... Um, we will, but, um, but it can be a weighty conversation and that, that's to be expected. So if that helps you anyway, like know that being nervous, being afraid, whatever, that is normal. Okay. But the thing we need to know is this, is that if you're a Christian, the Bible is pretty honest about how we're going to be received by the world and how our relationship with the world is going to be. Like, think about what Jesus said. He said, you know, we have to die to ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him. That doesn't sound like an easy life in the sense of like just kind of cozy and no awkward conversations and no suffering. It doesn't sound like that. Think about the book of Acts. You read the book of Acts, it's like over and over again. People are a witness for Jesus and something bad happens to them. They're a witness for, like the life of Paul. The dude gets like shipwrecked and then gets bitten by a snake as he's gathering wood like, you know, on the island. And then they like, you know, he doesn't die because the Lord preserves him. But then it's just like, and he's always getting beat up. He gets beat one time so bad they think he's dead. They carry him outside the city, lay him on the ground. The disciples walk around him and like, look, like, is he, is he dead? I can't tell. And then he gets up and he's like, okay, I got to go back in the city now. Let's go. I got I to do this again. You know, like the dude was just a beast, right? But he, he got, it was rough for him, okay? And that's the kind of life of a Christian we get described in the New Testament. Now, I'm not saying you're going to get beat up on campus tomorrow and drug, drug outside of Brian Stadium, you know, and like left there. But I mean, there's going to be some suffering and there's some cost involved in being a Christian, okay? And we should expect that. Um, we shouldn't be afraid of that, and we shouldn't shy away from that, okay? But what I want us to point out is this, is that in our fear, in our nervousness, in our anxiety about sharing the gospel, we have to fight that fear with fear, okay? We have to fight that fear with fear. And what I mean is this. I don't mean like some other kind of being afraid. I mean fight our fear of man with the fear of God, okay? When I say the fear of God, I don't mean like literally being afraid of God. I mean the kind of biblical fear that it talks about in Scripture, which is like a, a reverence, an admiration, a, an adoration, uh, a trembling in an awestruck kind of way before the Lord that we should have if we really are walking with him. That's why Peter, I think, says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy before he gets into anything else. He's saying that evangelism, first off, starts in our hearts, right? Sharing the gospel starts in our hearts, first off. That if we are loving and walking with Jesus, it should be, in some ways, a natural thing for us to at least want to talk about him in our lives, okay? Because we talk about what we love, right? We talk about things that we love. Like, if, if there's someone in here who's an Eagles fan, I'm not sure if we have any, but if you're an Eagles fan, like, you didn't have to tell, like, no one had to ask you about the Super Bowl the next day. Like, you were going to talk about it, you know? If, you're, if you know a CrossFit person, you never had to ask them they were in CrossFit because they told you, all right? Because they're in a cult, okay? But no, um... <laughs> But because they love CrossFit, or they pay a lot of money and feel like they have to talk about it now because it justifies their existence. So, um, but I'm just kidding. Half our staff does CrossFit, so I, I give them a hard time. Um, but like, you know, we talk about what we love, right? It's, it's natural to us, okay? I'm not, I'm not going to guilt trip you and say you don't love Jesus enough if you don't talk about him, all right? But I think what we need to start with is this, is our hearts when it comes to sharing our faith. Because if we're walking with the Lord, if we're walking with Jesus, if we're growing in our love for him, we at least should have some desire to talk about him with other people, 
Not saying you're not going to be nervous about it. It's not going to be awkward sometimes. But there should be some kind of desire and kind of yearning there for your roommates to know Jesus, to know what you know, to know this God who saved you. And so if we're struggling with that, the place to start is not more techniques. It's not more you know, tracks, more of anything. It's to start in our hearts to see if we really are treasuring Jesus in the way that we should, to see if we really are understanding the eternal consequences of the gospel, that if our roommate, if our friend, our, our family member doesn't put their faith in Jesus, they will spend eternity separated from him in a real place called hell. Uh, that's, that's a big deal. That's a weighty, weighty thing. That should weigh very, very heavily on you. It does me. Uh, and, and if it doesn't, then I, maybe you need to think more about the reality of that, okay? But this stuff has to start in our hearts, right? It's got to start in our hearts if it's ever going to take place in our lives in any kind of way, all right? So we have to fight fear with fear. The second thing is this. We should pray, all right? That seems pretty normal to say, but I think it's important that we should pray when it comes to sharing our faith. Uh, Two things. Pray for yourself, all right? And pray for specific people, okay? I get that talking about Jesus is, is a nerve-wracking thing in many ways. And so I want to encourage you, like, as you think about these ideas, like, and pray for yourself. Pray that God would give you opportunities. He would give you open doors to talk about your faith. Um, he would give you boldness, even in, the, in, in spite of some nervousness. And honestly, if you're like, man, Kyle, I'm not even sure if I even care about this stuff tonight. Like, I, I kind of feel cold to this, to this deal. I'm probably going to go home and, you know play Xbox and not care about this, man, pray for your heart to change. If you feel cold to this and you feel like, man, I don't feel the way I should, pray for your own heart. Pray for God um, to warm your cold heart to the need of the gospel around the world, all right? Like, pray for yourself um, as well, okay? So pray for yourself. Um, And also, pray for specific people, all right? Pray for specific people. Um, If you know people, which I'm sure you do, if you know people that don't know Jesus, um, man, pray for them. Make it a regular part of your life to pray for that person, you know, like make a prayer sheet, you know, find ways to, to make some sticky notes, to write it on your mirror, whatever, to remind yourself to pray for that person. Because guess what? Prayer works, just FYI. You know, prayer actually, there's, not, there's a reason we're praying next Thursday or two Thursdays from now for God to do great things on college campuses because God responds to prayer. And so pray for people you know that don't know Jesus. And even as a way to talk about the gospel with them, ask them how you can pray for them. That's one easy way to like open up some spiritual conversation is just to ask your friend, hey, um, you know, I'm a Christian and I like to pray for people. You can maybe say it differently than that. I don't know. But I, I want to know, how, how can I pray for you? What's going on? Any way I can pray for you? They're probably going to say like something like, you know, I mean, a test or I got a sick family member or something like that. Man, enter into that and pray for them. Let them know you're praying for them. And that begins to, to even tear down some barriers in itself when you begin to ask them how you can pray for them. And that can open doors to the gospel. And last thing with that is um, take time to pray throughout the day. Um, one thing I like to do is a couple times a week, um, well, sometimes once a week, um, I will go on campus, and I'll just walk around. You may have seen me on campus before and wonder why, why is Kyle just walking around campus. He's not a student. I just like campus. It's a cool place. But also, um, I just go around and I pray. I kind of prayer walk a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm walking around. I'm praying for a dorm. I'm praying for a classroom. I'm praying for people as I see them, you know, just walking around. You know, and I went to UA, so I get, like, where different parts of campus are and what life is like there. So I'm praying for specific things, you know. Um, but you guys can do the same thing. Like, maybe on your way to class sometimes, if you don't have someone you're walking with, um, just, just pray. Take some time. You don't have to pray out loud. Just pray in your heart to the Lord and pray for someone you see. You might not have to know them, you know, just, or pray for that dorm you walk by. Pray for that classroom. Uh, pray for whatever God kind of leads you to, but use that time well. 
Um, I, I find it really funny that as we pray for certain things, God like, leads us to be the answer to our own prayers sometimes. As we pray for someone to hear the gospel, we end up being the person God uses. And so uh, pray for those things. And, and take time throughout the day, whether you're at work, at class, whatever, to pray. Um, but the third thing we want to see in this is that we should be present. Okay? Be present. Um, if you were here for our struggle series we did last year, we talked about the importance of being present and, and disconnecting from all the ways we can be distracted by social media, things like that. But we live in a very distracted age these days, and there's, like, there's always something that you could be looking at, like on your phone, on your laptop, whatever. I mean, you, you, like, you go into a classroom these days for a lecture, and it's like 500 MacBooks all facing you, you know. And I know there's certain teachers who are starting to make rules where you can't bring your laptop into class, probably because you're really on YouTube or Facebook instead of listening to them typing out their notes. But we can be so distracted these days by all kinds of things. But I want to encourage you to be present with those around you. You know, if you're in class, you know, like, instead of when you walk in class, kind of just sitting down and immediately pulling out your phone and just, like, texting Facebook and Instagram and whatever, like, look for times and look for ways to talk to the people around you. You know, whether you know, if you know them, you probably should talk to them. Don't be a jerk. But if you don't know them, you know, like, look for ways to connect with them. You know, look for ways to strike up conversation and, um, and just find ways to connect. Be, be aware of even those, that, those eight kind of people that are even around you in your lecture hall. Uh, be aware of them and uh, be present. And look for opportunities, not just in class, but at work, home, things like that. Just be aware, be present, and uh, even disconnect from the technology a little bit and look for ways to connect with them. Um, but also make time in your schedule to be around non-Christians, uh, especially to my BCM folk in here. Um, I understand, because I, I was you at one point, um, the difficulty of being involved in a campus ministry and a church and all the plethora of things that can come with that. That it can be like every night of the week you're either in a Bible study or a worship service or you're serving somewhere. And when you're not doing that, you're hanging out with your friends at their apartment and they're all Christians, you know? And I, I get it's really easy, and this is not just college. Um, this can be life in general. Um, but to kind of bubble yourself in as a believer to where basically if I ask you, hey, who, who are you sharing the gospel with? You're like, well, I don't think I know any non-Christians besides that guy I sit next to in class and we don't really talk that much, you know? And before you know it, you bubble yourself in. So I want to encourage you, like, make intentional time to be around non-Christians. That might mean maybe you shouldn't go to four Bible studies a week. I'm just saying, you know, like the Bible's great, but, you know, maybe you don't need that many, you know? And, and maybe take some intentional time to be around non-believers. Um, you know, maybe things like join a study group, find some friends and, and uh, join that study group to get together with them to build relationships, you know, maybe take advantage of that group project that you hate and actually, you know, instead of hating it as much, look at it as an opportunity for the gospel, you know, go to the rec and make specific times in your week. You're going to work out in those times and you're going to be aware of the people around you, the person beside you in the treadmill that maybe you see every, you know, week or so. And hey, maybe I should strike up a conversation with them, you know, go to the same coffee shop every time, maybe three times a week at the same time and kind of be aware of that person that's always there studying calculus beside you that you see. Maybe you can start up a conversation with them, you know, or, or even like join an on-campus organization, you know. Um, maybe you really love uh, a certain thing, like your, uh, like Bailey likes robotics stuff, you know, like, and so being in the robotics club is a great way to build relationships with non, non-Christians, you know, like find that thing that you enjoy, something you love, and join that organization on campus around town and use that as a way to build relationships, and, and be careful not to just insulate yourself with other believers. Because I, I know, as a church staff member, I get that, right? I'm around Christians like all day at the church, right? It's really easy for me to just fall into this bubble. And I have to be really intentional to break out of that, okay? And so I want to encourage you guys to do the same, all right? And last thing is this, and we'll begin to wrap up, uh, is this. Is be a Christian in real life, 
all right? Be a Christian in real life, okay? What do I mean by that, all right? I mean a couple of things. Uh, first, I mean this. Um, look for chances to talk about Jesus in daily life, all right? Look for chances to talk about Jesus in daily life. I think part of the problem with evangelism is that we're looking to answer questions that nobody's asking. You know, we're like, we walk up to someone on their, you know, having their lunch break out in the quad. Hey, uh, if you were to die right now, where would you go, heaven or hell? They're like, bro, I'm just thinking about my, my class like, in an hour. I'm not thinking about like eternity right now. What are, what are you doing? You know, like, it's it's kind of, we like, we try to awkwardly like fit in these, these gospel things into like conversations in a really unnatural way. And it comes off unbelievable sometimes because it comes off like I'm trying to sell you something or I feel guilt tripped about not talking about my faith. So I've got to fit this gospel message in so, so I can say, check, share my faith today. You know, all right. Who cares if they were like during the headlights the whole time, I shared my faith, you know, like. And we, we just try to answer questions people aren't asking. You know, we're not trying to meet them where they are. I think that's part of the problem with the gospel is that, with evangelism, is we, we've heard these things like the faith acronym and tracks, and those are all great. I'm not bashing them. But we think about it as like a business proposal, like a, a presentation, instead of a real conversation that we have with people based on who they are and where they are. All right? And so look for chances to speak about just what's going on in life, you know, especially like big light realities. I mean, we live in a world now that's so connected through just like media and things like that, we've got lots of chances to talk about the gospel and insert him in. I mean, just think about uh, like the Las Vegas shooting happened not too long ago. I mean, you could be talking about that, and I know people were talking about that um, not long ago when it happened. And even in, in like the midst of a conversation about, man, that was just so crazy. Like, how could that happen? Like, what's going on? You, know, you can be like, well, as a Christian, I'm, I'm really thankful that my God is a God of justice and that he's going to ensure that no injustice is going to go unpunished. You know, and you can... Say that in your own way, but even insert in the midst of that conversation how your God is a God of justice, that, that you can look to him for hope in this kind of stuff. You don't have to fit the whole gospel in there, the whole God, man, Christ response into that conversation. You're just inserting some gospel truth in that conversation, kind of throwing a line out there, looking for them maybe to want to know more about that. If they don't, cool. You can move on, you know? Maybe you'll have another chance later. But looking to just insert the gospel into everyday conversation, that, that can lead to more fleshed out conversations about the gospel. But second thing is this, is not only do you look for chances, but listen for on-ramps, okay? So look for chances and listen for on-ramps. All right, what I mean by on-ramps is this. There's all kinds of needs that we're looking to meet in life, and the gospel meets them in the most profound way. And I'll, I'll give you five specific ones that can be helpful for you. Is this, security, number one, security. Um, we're all looking for some sense of safety, some sense of security, and in college, I mean, you got a lot of things to worry about, your future tests, you know, money, all kinds of things like that. And so as you're talking to people, if you hear them begin to bring up issues of security and safety, you can share with them how, I mean, when you're worried, you can trust that your God is in control. You find peace because you know that in the midst of craziness in life, your God is in control, right? And just kind of throw that in there. It doesn't mean you're inserting the whole gospel in there. You just kind of begin to speak that into their life. Uh, but not just security, but identity, and college is a huge time where we're defining who we are. We're growing into your identity for the rest of your life. And people are looking to find themselves in all kinds of different things. They're looking to find their worth and their meaning in all kinds of different things. And so as you hear people talk about issues of identity, where they find, how they define themselves, how they find their purpose and their meaning, you can say, listen, I find my worth in Jesus. That's one way I can not, not be kind of t- constantly tossed back and forth in the world about trying to define who I am based on my GPA, based on my relationship status, based on my whatever. But instead, I'm defined by my worth in Jesus. Uh, what about meaning? 
People were looking for meaning and purpose. A lot of people come to college defining themselves by their future career, by what they're going to do, by the things they're accomplishing in life. It only gets worse when you graduate because it moves from, hey, what's your major, to, hey, what do you do? And you're, like, defined by what you do. Oh, you're a teacher. You're a nurse. That's cool. You know? And we're looking for meaning in all kinds of different ways. And so you can insert in the gospel there that you found purpose in the God who's made you. You found purpose in the God who loves you, who's given you a mission in the world and to give you the mission to glorify him. So you can insert um, the idea of meaning. About suffering, right? Our world is full of suffering. We've been talking about this uh, through Habakkuk. Um, But as people talk about suffering they're experiencing in life, you can talk about how you found hope in a Savior who suffered for you and God who came to earth to suffer in your place so that you wouldn't have to suffer for eternity. And he gives you strength and hope and peace in the midst of suffering in life. Doesn't mean it's, it doesn't mean it's easy, right? But it gives you a foundation, a rock that we can't find anywhere else. And last one, satisfaction. Right? Satisfaction. You know, we're lo- college especially, we're looking for all kinds of ways to, to get pleasure, to be entertained, right? to be satisfied. And so as you hear people talking about how they find satisfaction in that party they went to last week, you know, or that relationship, you know, or this amazing Netflix show, you know, something like that, even can find ways to talk about how you find ultimate fulfillment and meaning and satisfaction in Christ, in the bread of life who, is, um, who was broken for you. And so that this is all kinds of different on-ramps you can listen for, and there's a lot more when looking for ways to share the gospel. So it's all about finding ways to just speak it naturally into people's lives, not feeling like I have to kind of shoehorn this presentation into this conversation. But if it leads to that, go for it, all right? And last thing, I'll be done, okay? Last thing is this we got to remember is that evangelism is about people, not projects. All right? It's about people, not projects. And I'll, I'll unpack that with three things. Okay, three things about how we should re- interact and relate to people who, do, who don't know Jesus. And it's three Bs, all right? Three Bs. Uh, belong, believe, behave. All right? Belong, believe, behave. Okay? And here's what I mean by that. Um, Jesus says that as Christians, we should be known by our love for each other. That that is our primary witness to the world that we are disciples of Christ. And so that means that our community and our relationships with each other should be a a shining light for the reality and the truth and the validity of our gospel that we believe, that we're known by our love for each other. But also that should apply to our love for non-Christians as they come into relationship with us and into our community. And we've said said many times before that we went out to Baptist Church and our college ministry as well to be a place where people can belong before they believe. They can belong before they believe. That they can come here and no matter who they are, no matter what they believe, they can find a place where people care for them, love them, no matter where they've come from, no matter who they are. They can belong here and know that they're, they're cared for here. And that should be our heart is to seek to help people know they belong, not just in our college ministry, but in our lives. Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians how um, he shared not just the gospel with them, but also his very life with them. And I love that because he's like, yeah, I didn't just share the message of the gospel. I shared with you my very life. I brought you into my life. And that should be the picture that we look to is bringing people into our lives and that they belong. They have a place to belong before they believe. But the second part is believe, that we want people to, to know the gospel. So when they come into our, into our life and we have a relationship with them and they're, they're in our ministry, we want them to believe. We want to share the gospel with them. We want to talk about Jesus and how he's made a difference in our lives with them so that they can believe. But also, we've got to remember that we can't expect non-Christians to act like Christians. Right? We can't expect a non-Christian to act like a Christian. They may not know the things we know. They may not care about things we care about. You know? We can't expect them to act in a certain way. 
right? I think that's what Jesus means by don't judge. You know, don't cast your pearls before swine and don't cast, you know, um, what is holy before um, dogs is that a dog has no, no idea what to do with a, a book. A, a pig has no idea what to do with, uh, with pearls, right? They need food, right? They need sustenance, you know? And so we can't put our pearls before people who don't know the gospel and don't believe and expect them to live in a way that doesn't line, doesn't line up with their belief. We can't expect non-believers to act like believers, all right? But at the same time, we can't expect believers to act like non-believers in, in the same way. But we want them to believe. And then the last thing is this, is behave, all right? Uh, once someone becomes a believer, yes, we hold each other to a high standard, but we got to get the order right, is that we expect them to believe before they behave. And that, that is so important. And as we hold each other to a high standard, we show each other grace and truth in that. That we're graceful and not judging them, but also we show them truth about being honest in what we believe and why it matters. Okay? So with that, um, that's all I have uh, for tonight. Uh, um, I hope this has been encouraging for you. I hope this has been uh, helpful for you. And so I want to give you about 15 minutes to discuss. And so I'm going to pray for us really quickly. And then um, you guys have three questions on there to talk about. And, uh, and then I'll come back about 9 o'clock and, uh, and finish it finishes up. Okay? And so let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for um, the challenge of how you've given us a mission in the world. We thank you for um, the fact that we get to be a part of what you're doing in the world. Well, I ask that you would guide these students and give them just a passion and a burden to make you known in all the areas of influence you've given them, Father. Uh, I pray that you would um, open their eyes wide to the opportunities that they have around them and give them boldness. I pray that you would guide them in their, in their discussions during this time and, and let it be a way that you sharpen them and make them more like Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.